Hey church family, Hannah here with just a few announcements before we get started. If you haven't already checked out our Lent resources, we highly encourage you to check them out on our website. During the first few weeks, we have been praying through some of the prayers of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Then during Holy Week, we will pray through and reflect on passages found in Matthew about Jesus' last week leading up to the cross. To learn more and find the prayer and scripture reading schedule, visit wheatonbible.org Easter. This Easter season, we'd like to invite you to journey to Easter on Friday, April 7th. This is a fun yet deeply meaningful event where families with school-age kids can experience the walk of the cross. The cost is $25 per family and covers all the materials used, along with an extra activity. To register and find out more about Easter services, visit wheatonbible.org Easter. It's not too late to suggest a CareFest project. With May just around the corner, we need to know where and how we can serve our community. Each year, around 1,000 people from our church and the surrounding community band together and complete care projects for people and organizations in our area. Last year, we completed over 60 projects. Do you know someone we could care for this year? If you have an idea, go online to wheatonbible.org carefest and let us know. That's all for this morning. Thanks so much for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week. Good morning and welcome. The choir calls us to worship this morning by instructing us to join all creation in praising the Lord. And this is the God who says that through faith in Jesus Christ alone, you are justified before him and belong to him forever. And we praise him for that and rejoice in him this morning. Let's take this time to focus our hearts.
let's stand together.
today is a song we've sung before that Dr. Payne wrote to a beautiful poem called In the Secret of His Presence. So we invite you to sing along or you can let it wash over you these wonderful truths how being in God's presence changes and transforms our hearts. shepherd lead us.
ushers, you may come forward at this time. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Scott Landon. I'm the executive pastor of administration here at Wheaton Bible Church. I have the privilege of serving alongside Pastor Hannibal, the board of elders and the staff, as we seek to fulfill our mission to love God, love one another, love our neighbors, and love the nations. Ushers, you may now pass the plates. I just love the giving moment that we go through here at Wheaton Bible Church because it's another worship opportunity to demonstrate my love for God and all that he's been doing in my life and continues to do in my life. It's also an opportunity to invest our resources that he's entrusted to us for kingdom impact. Now as the plates are being passed, you'll probably notice that not everyone puts their offering in the plate. Well, there's a reason for that. 85% of our offerings are received online or in the mail. For many, this giving moment has become more transactional, and its real purpose is to be transformational. A lot of people, as, as I've read and reflect on giving, many people struggle with, I'll say, the church and money. They think the church is after your, their money. So let me clarify a few things for you. God doesn't want or need your money. God is not after your money. God is after your heart, and so is the church. He wants to see your faith increase, and so does the church. So once we place our faith in Christ, what we do with our money is financial, but our relationship with money is spiritual. For me, generosity is the mark of a life that has been profoundly impacted by Jesus Christ. And I know that there are many of you out there who live and give as a reflection of your relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to thank you for your faithful financial gifts and for the way you faithfully serve and pray for the church. We do a lot of things at Wheaton Bible Church, and they would not be possible without your generosity. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, first of all, we thank you for Jesus, who traded his riches for poverty so that we would be made rich. It's by your grace and through your spirit that makes generosity possible. And Lord, we want to share as much as we can to show the world the hope we have because of the gospel. Lord, we want our generosity to multiply greatly and produce much fruit. Father, you know the challenges that each one of us face, especially the ones that cause us to act out of fear and pride. 
But in you, we have hope. We know that we can freely, humbly, and confidently move today because of your presence. So take away any fears that we have that prevent you from being the Lord of our life in all areas of life. Give us courage and freedom, Lord, to do what you call us to do. For myself, I think, just give me the confidence and the trust in you. And help me remember how you provide, protect, and pave the way for me. Help each one of us to leave the cares of our affairs to you. And as we learned last week, teach us how to fast from ourselves and feast on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your providential care for us, your children, and that we can face uncertainty, which we face in this world, with great peace. Open our eyes, Lord, to see what is truly life. Open our hearts to share that life with a world that desperately needs it. May we find great joy, Lord, in serving you and others. Lord, we also pray this day for the message that we are about to hear. We pray that you would reveal yourself through it and that you would speak to us the words that you have for us today. So we just thank you for the privilege of gathering today and being in the house of worship. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now would you stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's word. Today's reading is from Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14. You can find that in your journal on page 100. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. How's everyone doing? For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Hannibal, and I want to welcome you all to Wheaton Bible Church. Uh, if you're visiting for the first time, I always want to repeat the same thing. Uh, I want you to know that we as a church are here to love you and serve you in any way we can. So if there's anything we can do for you, please help us do that by letting us know how we can love you and serve you. And today, then, we continue, or as we continue through our journey in the Gospel of Matthew, we are going to be looking 
uh, into a new section in your booklet if you have your journal. So if you didn't grab, if you have been using your journal and you're collecting the stickers, we have a new sticker to put there. Um, and if you're wondering why is it that we do that, it's because we just cool like that. We just do cool, cool, cool things like that. Uh, no, actually, part of the reason when I thought about this is, um, is because I think that many times it's important for you to uh, record and process things by writing. And many times it's very important that we go back and see and check and learn what, and remember what we have learned. Um, so that's kind of the intention behind the journal. I don't think that everyone's supposed to journal, but at least it's a spiritual discipline that we would like to invite you to practice. Um, so, but if you notice in your thing, because we have a new section, uh, actually I think that if I would have changed something, I would have included the sermon last week as part of the new section, but because we already printed it, you know, it is what it is. But if you were here last week, you may remember that I said that from Matthew 1 all the way to Matthew 17, uh, Matthew is doing the job of talking about Jesus, elevating Jesus, talking about what Jesus does, how he is, how he loves, and he gives us a ton of different hints about why Jesus came, all the way from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 17. But once we get to chapter 18, Matthew seems to be changing the focus of changing the emphasis of the text. And from uh, chapters 18, 19, and 20, there will be this uh, hyper-focus on what the community of faith is supposed to look like. What the community of faith is supposed to look, look like in light of what we already heard and learned about Jesus. In other words, <clears throat> from chapters 18 to 20, we see the, the effect of the gospel in the heart of a person, the effect of the gospel in the within the community of faith. And part of the reason why I think Matthew is doing that is because anyone that has had a personal encounter with Jesus, anybody in the Bible that has had a, that had a personal encounter with Jesus only has one of these two reactions. Either their heart becomes harder or their heart becomes softer and becomes believer. Every single person in the gospel, when they had an encounter with Jesus, they only, there was, there's only two possible reactions. Either your heart becomes harder or your heart becomes softer and you become a believer. So what we're looking at in chapters 18, 19, and 20 is the effect of the gospel and how the gospel affects the heart of a person. Today, then, we're going to hyper-focus, as I said already, on what it means to be a community of love. So these are two points for us today. We're going to talk about the power of love and the power to love. The power of love and the power to love. I need you to do me a favor. Look at the person next to you, and you've got to say this. We are a community of love. Go ahead. <clears throat> Let's go then with point number one. We are the power of love. I, I have to start by making a disclaimer here. Because unless I make the disclaimer, the text is not going to make any sense to you, I think. So this is the disclaimer. We were saved by a community for a community. 
We were saved, if you're a Christian, by a community for a community. See, there's this tendency in thinking that when we become Christians, it's a private thing. It's a thing between God and, and me. It's, a, it's an individual thing in which God is interceding, God does something in my mind and heart, and then it's about this uh, vertical relationship alone. But part of the reason why I said that we are safe by a community, for a community, is because the community that saved us is the community of the Trinity. God Father, God Son, and God Holy Spirit, in which every single one of them played a role into, uh, when it came to our salvation. The Father wants us to save us, wanted to save us. The, Jesus is the one that comes to save us. And the Holy Spirit is the one that applies that salvation. We are saved by a community. But if we stop there, then we miss the whole point of the Bible. We are saved by a community for a community. That's why you never, ever, ever, ever find any examples in the Bible of someone that becomes a Christian and were not automatically made part of a community of faith. I know that for Western for a Western individualistic world that doesn't make any sense. But I want to invite you to consider, and actually next time you read your entire New Testament, you would see that most of the use you find in the Bible usually come in plural form. He saved us. We are in him. You, plural, have been saved. That is one of the disadvantages with the English translation of the Bible we have. Um, and I think that there's a reason why they only use the word you, even though the word might be in the plural. Um, but, but, but I want to invite you to consider that many of those you is actually you guys or y'all. <laughs> so this individualistic Western thing does not work when we read the Bible. Because the Bible never divorced our salvation from the y'all or the you guys. So let me, let, me, let, me, let me explain why is it that this is so important for us as a church. See, as a church, we have been super intentional about recognizing that we need to have presence online for some people to watch our services online. And we do it because there are people that have leg legitimate reasons why they can be here with us. Might be health issues, it might be other things. But I what I want you to hear me though is that as a church, we do not encourage for anyone to think that there's such a thing as online church. Once again, there might be exceptions, and there are, and that's why we have presence online. But that we cannot say it in light of the Bible that there is such a thing as church online. The question is why? Because the church is saved by a community for a community, and that community demands that we do life together, that there is physical presence, that proximity matters, that we need to see our faces even if we don't want to see them. The community of faith requires worshiping together. The church is about part Participants, not about spectators or consumers. 
The church is about this community of faith that has been saved by a community. Man, that was terrible, church. <laughs> we have been saved by a community. Beautiful. Thank you so much. That might be the reason why Hebrews chapter 10 is so emphatic when it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How do you do that? By not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, by encouraging one another. So Hebrews acknowledges that there's a tendency to separate our Christianity from the community of faith. And what the author of Hebrews is doing is trying to correct that. And I think that the logic is super simple. How else do we live the one another's of the Bible? How else do we actually exercise the one another of the Bible? See, the one cannot practice the one another's unless there's another that comes along with the one. Oh, super simple to understand. How else do we love one another? Love is a present action. How else do we understand how to be to be how to be to how do we learn to practice to be patient with one another? <laughs> it's so easy to be patient with people when you don't see them. <laughs> so if I ask you, are you a, a patient person? And you say, yes, I am. You know what the following question is? Who can testify that that is true? <laughs> right? I thought that I was a, a patient person until I became a pastor. <laughs> until I met some of you. <laughs> you thought that you were patient until you met me. For example, the Bible calls us to look for the interests of one another. How do I do that if I cannot see you? How do I do that if, we, if we're not doing life together? See, I thought that I was selfless until I became a pastor. And then I realized that I'm not as selfless. That as much as I want to be like Jesus, I'm not like Jesus all the time. How else do we practice this, the fruit of the Spirit? Did you know that 80% of the fruit of the Spirit has to do with other people? If you don't know what that is, Think about love, joy, peace, endurance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How do you practice that if you are not surrounded by other people? You might think that you're living in light of the fruit of the Spirit, but you only know that it's true if you live, it, you live within a community. The question is, why am I talking about all of this, being saved by a community for a community, why do we talk about all of these things? Number one is because I need you to understand that even though that's something that we talk about in the church all the time, you have to understand that community is not an option. You need a community. You don't function well without community, and you cannot understand this text unless that's the premise. This text that we just read doesn't make any sense unless that's the premise. And that's why Jesus, at the beginning of verse 10, says this. See that you, pause there for a second, 
That you is in plural. See that y'all. See that you guys. See that you church. Do not despise one of these little ones. If you want to see what a gospel community looks like and a grace community look like, you have to pay attention to that verse. See, we are supposed to be, as, as a church, the, the Christians supposed to be a church in which we don't despise one another, meaning we don't look down on, on anybody, we don't undervalue anybody, but not just anybody, the little ones. Within the family of faith, we don't despise the little ones. And you say, well, we love children. That's not what this is talking about. If you were here last week, you may remember that we read verse 6, and it says that the little ones are people that believe in Jesus, that might be struggling in their faith, but that they still believe in Jesus, or someone that is starting to believe in Jesus. So the little ones is you, is me, when we are struggling with our faith. We do not despise one another even when we struggle with our faith or in our faith. Now, I love this verse because it assumes a couple of things. Pay attention. Think about this. The verse assumes, Jesus assumes, that there's a tendency in the human heart, even within the family of faith, to look down on others when they struggle in their faith. You know how I know that that's what Jesus assumes? Because he's there. And number two, it also assumes that you and I, at one point or another, will struggle with our faith. And the commandment there is, do not despise the little ones. See, these are, I believe that these are good news for some and bad news for others. Good news is because if you are a regular broken human being, like me, and you are in the process of sanctification, growing up to be like Jesus, I think that you should expect, and I should expect, that from time to time, we might, may struggle with our faith. And the good news is that if you believe that, you are in the right place. Because everyone in this room, at one point or another, will struggle with our faith. And there's going to be other people that Jesus will say to, do not despise the little ones. Those are the good news. The bad news, on the other hand, is that if you join the church thinking that the church is supposed to be this spiritual utopia in which people have it all together, in which you don't encounter people that are struggling with their faith, in which you do not expect that we sin against one another in the church, you have the wrong idea of the church. You know what we're going to experience the spiritual utopia finally? When we make it to heaven. And this side of glory, that is not going to happen. So if someone ever tells you, I'm going to move churches, which by the way, I get one of those every now and then. I'm going to move churches because this church don't know how to love people well. 
listen, I, I read that and I listen to that and I think, well, we got to work on this and we got to work on that and work on that. But I always feel, I never say it, but I feel to say to the person, what did you expect? We are still broken people in the process of sanctification. Whether we plan it or not, you are going to sin against someone and someone is going to sin against you. And if someone says, well, I can be here because I got to go for a church that knows how to love people well. What I would say in a very humble, gentle spirit, with a gentle spirit, is if you find that church, don't join it. Because you are going to mess it up as soon as you join it. <laughs> Why? Because you are just as broken as the church you just left. You see, Bonhoeffer used to say, in his book, Life Together, the person who loves their dream of a community will destroy the community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. Rabu, my predecessor, that some of you guys probably heard about him before. <laughs> he used to say that the church was a hospital. I think he was right. But I think that he needs to explain what part of the hospital. See, I think the church is a hospital. But not just part of the hospital. We are like the ER in the hospital. In which bloody people come in. Hurt people come in. But that we stick together. And we learn not to despise one another. So we move from the ER to the recovery room. So the idea is not that we as a church just remain as the ER. The idea is that we come and do life together and we stick around with one another and we don't despise one another. So we move from the ER to the recovery room. That's the church Jesus Christ calls us to be. That is the church that has the effect and is affected by the gospel. I think that a great saying for the church of Jesus Christ in universal terms is to adopt what the statue of liberty says. Give me or send me the tired, the poor, uh, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched, the homeless, and the tempest, uh, tempest tossed. That's what it means to be a church. When we have the little ones and we don't despise them. Is that how you view this church? Is that how you view yourself and you view others? So, of course, the most natural question we have to ask is, why is it then, Hannibal? If the church is supposed to be this beautiful thing, why is it that we still struggle with this? Why is it, why is it that Jesus assumes that we're going to despise one another and he calls us not to? Why is it that we still are part of the little ones from time to time? And this is where you got to pay attention to how Jesus describes Christians 
how Jesus himself describes believers. Why is it that as Christians, we still struggle as being the little ones from time to time? Well, he's going to give us two words in one verse. Look at verse 12. At the beginning of verse 12, he says, What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away. Now, the reason why I stopped the verse there is because I want you to pay attention to the word sheep and wanders. So if you are new to Christianity, right, or you just never paid attention at church, or you are exploring Christianity, every time you hear the word sheep, you feel something so warm and beautiful inside. You're like, oh my goodness, that is so beautiful. Sheep are so cute, and you probably automatically go to one of those pictures, and we see Jesus walking around with a beautiful sheep, and he's smiling, and the sheep is smiling, <laughs> which I don't know how that happens. But how about if I tell you, and I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again until we all believe it, that when the Bible calls you a sheep, that is not a compliment. That is not a compliment. Sheep by nature are not very smart. Sheep by nature are moved more by instinct and instincts and desires, not by reason. In, uh, sheep by nature gets lost super easy. You know, the, the sheep just gets lost and they're like, wait, what happened? What am I doing here? See, sheep are stubborn animals. Cute, but not very smart. Have you ever noticed why the Bible? Have you ever wondered why the Bible never calls us like lions? Never says that we are powerful and strong and fearless. No, no, no. You're a sheep. I'm a sheep. So if you're wondering why is it that within the, the family of faith, we struggle with our faith sometimes... Is because we're still sheep. You're no lion. You're a sheep. Y'all are a sheep. <laughs> now, if that's not offensive enough, then pay attention to the word wonders. Because the word wonders obviously means that you lose direction. But did you know that the word wonders also can be translated as deceived? Sheep are easily deceived. And I want to make the argument that all Christians, many times, we are deceived because we think that we can find happiness in this creation more than in the Creator. I think that as Christians, many times we are deceived because we think that we have control. I think that as Christians, sometimes we are deceived because we think that we don't need anybody anymore. I think that as Christians, we are deceived when we think that the church is supposed to be perfect and the world is supposed to be perfect and your life is supposed to be perfect, I think that we are deceived when we think that we're strong. I think that we are deceived when we think that we don't need to ask for help. I think that we are deceived, deceived when we forget that we are just sheep. This is the reason why the church is full of little ones. It doesn't mean that you're a little one all the time, but the church is full of little ones. Right here in front of you. 
This is the reason why James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 says, My brothers and sisters, talking to the church, if one of you should wander from the truth, talking to the church, assumes that this stuff happens, someone should bring that person back. Someone from within the church family, brothers and sisters, someone should bring the person back. In God's economy, in God's plan for the church, he designed it in such a way that we need one another. We are instruments in the Redeemer's hands. Now, you would think that everything that Matthew says already is enough for us to understand. You would think that it's enough that he tells us, he tells us that we should not despise one another. You would think that it's enough that we understand that within the family of faith, you would always find at least one or two or three or like 3,000 little ones. You would think that we would understand that it's enough to understand that we are sheep and we have a tendency to wander away. You would think that that would be enough for us to understand, but Matthew does not stop there. Matthew is going to give us even more reasons on why we should not despise one another. And his argument is super simple. We are supposed to care for one another because we're supposed to reflect how much God cares for us. We care for one another because God cares for us. And to make his point clear, he's going to use two different illustrations. The first illustration comes in verse 10. When you look at the whole text, it says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now, please don't get entangled in the concept of angels. This is an illustration, at least from my perspective. Don't assume that we're supposed to believe that all of us got a garden uh, a guardian angel. I don't think that's the case here. We may have it, but that's not the point here. What God is saying, what Jesus is saying here, is that if God cares enough for his people that he sends angels to help, that if God is not indifferent toward the little ones, what makes us think that we should not care when we are going through the little one's face? If God cares enough to send his bodyguards, what makes us think that we should not care for one another? Isn't that crazy? And just in case we didn't get that one, he uses a second illustration. From the second part of verse 12 all the way to verse 14. Look at what he says. If a man owns a hundred sheep... And one of them wanders away. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? Verse 13. And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that he did not wander, that didn't wander off. Verse 14. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. 
super clear. If the father is like a shepherd that will do anything in his power to find the wandering, easily deceived, struggling in the faith, not so smart sheep, and he won't stop until he finds it, don't you think that we should care for one another in the same way? Matthew Henry, a famous Puritan, he said this once. Let no earth despise those whom heaven respects. Never despise those who heaven respects. That's what it means to be a community of faith. That is the power of love. That's what it means to be a gospel community. That's what it means to be a community of grace. That's what it means to be a Christian. If you have been part of the church for a while, I'm, I'm sure you heard my story many times. But just in case, I want to share with you once again a fragment of my story. Because I actually think that the only reason why I get to preach this sermon today is because my mom was a little one for about 20 years. And someone used a couple of missionaries. And God used a couple of missionaries that moved to Latin America to be the ones that never despised her. Even though she walked away from the Lord for, for 20 years. See, 15 days before I was born, 15 days before I was born, my mom and I didn't have a place to live. So this beautiful couple opened the doors of their home to us. Actually, my mom tells me that he had a room full of 35 different unique uh, birds. But because they needed a place for me and my mom to be, he let them go. And that was my first room ever. So uh, this is the house, my first house. This is the first people I met. And we lived for the, with them for about two years. And during those two years, my mom was walking with the Lord. Beautiful people sent by God. So they, beca they became Grandpa and Grandma Roy. So since then, I've been calling them Grandpa and Grandma. Even though we're super different. They're white and I'm not. They're American and I'm not. I don't know if you noticed that before. <laughs> when we leave their house, my mom started to walk away from the Lord. And as I said, for 20 years... She knew about God, she believed in God, but did not love God. Even though God loved her, still the same. And for 20 years, this is a crazy thing, for 20 years, they never, not once, despised my mom. For 20 years. Every year, it didn't matter in what part of Latin America we were living, because we moved a lot, they would always show up at least once a year to visit us. A few times a year, they would send letters, and every now and then, they would, they would give us a call for 20 years. So from age 25, I believe, to age 45, my mom is away from the Lord, and about age 45, she has this re-encounter with the Lord, and her life was completely changed. And after that, the whole family became Christian. And I'm convinced that part of the reason why I'm here today is because two people chose to obey, verse 10, 
to the point. That's what it means to be the community of faith. 20 years, not despising a little one. 20 years loving, caring, and being patient with a wandering sheep. 20 years caring for a woman and her child, and later on, extra children. 20 years being the heart of God to a wandering sheep. 20 years being instruments in the Redeemer's hands. 20 years exercising the power of love. That's your call. That's my call. Because I guarantee you that at one point, you will be the little one. And I'm going to be the little one. And someone is going to have to be an instrument of God to bring us back. Can we become a community like that? I think so. Once again, I think that we are ER. But later on, we move into the recuperation room. How do we become people of love? Well, we need the power of love. And I want to I wanna just bring to mind verse 14. In which he says that the father is not willing to lose anybody. And that will do anything in his power so no one should perish. See, the only way we learn to love other people that way is when you read yourself into that text. You were the wandering sheep. You were the little one. You were the one that was struggling. You were the one not very smart. You were the stubborn one. You were the one that did not care about God. You were the one that walked away from God. And yet, God the Father in Jesus Christ came to save you as he as your shepherd. See, we, we learn to be a community of love, and we have the power to love other people when we first remember that we were, and sometimes they still are, the little ones, the ones that we struggle with our faith. We are only powerful enough to love other people when we remember that God did not despise you, even when you were a foolish, wandering sheep. See, we have the power to love a struggling person when we first remember that God did not want us to perish and that he sent not just an angel but the ultimate shepherd that perished at the cross so you wouldn't. See, we only learn how to love other people like that when we remember that our shepherd did not leave just the 99 behind. He left heaven for you. This will be a great Sunday. 
for us to participate in communion. You know why? Because in the Passover celebration of communion, there was three elements always. Bread, wine, and the lamb. And the lamb was there to remind people of what God was willing to do to forgive their sins. Sacrifice a baby sheep, a lamb. You know what's interesting about the communion that Jesus shows us in the New Testament? That there's wine, that there's bread, but there's no lamb. You know why? Because he's the shepherd that became a sheep. He was going to be the sacrifice. He was going to be the one that would surrender his life. Why? So we could be saved from a, by a community for a community. Your job and my job, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, is to go and do likewise. May the Lord grant us to be a church that never, ever despises the little ones. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, it is so easy to think that we can do life by ourselves. It is so easy, Lord, to sometimes feel that we are spiritually superior to other people, especially when they struggle. It is so easy to be annoyed by those that are struggling in their faith. Lord, and I ask for forgiveness if we have done that to anybody. And I ask, Lord, to you that you help us become people of love. Because we have the power to love. Because we remember, Lord, that at one point we were the little ones. And every now and then, we still are. And not only you never despised us, but you sent someone to help us with our faith. We also want to be instruments in your hands. We also want to represent your heart. We also want to go and look for the wandering one. Please help us do that. Because we were that at one point. And you did not turn back. You came. You gave it all. And you rescued us. Help us be a church like that. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say. Let's respond by proclaiming day by day. God gives us the power to love and to do all the things he's called us to do. Let's stand.
finishing our service, I want to have an invitation for you, actually two things. I want to invite you to allow us the opportunity to pray for you. So if there's any prayer request you have for us, please let us know. You can use the QR code that you have in front of you somewhere, and I guarantee you that someone is going to be praying for you. Second invitation that I have for you is that we're going to have a prayer night. We are calling the entire church, all of our congregations, to a bilingual spirit, uh, prayer night on April 5th. And part of the reason why we do a prayer night during this season is because this is a good season for people to come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. One. And two, because we are surrounded by little ones. And one of the ways in how we don't despise them is by praying for them. And there's nothing better than to pray together as a family of faith. So April 5th. Can you say April 5th? April 5th. So if you say April 5th, you have to come. Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. So that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all the nations. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. You are sent.